Welcome back to the Teaching in Tech podcast for season two with Alan and Chad, where we continue to explore everything related to teaching, learning, and technology integration. Working with teachers, we see amazing things happening in classrooms every day. In each episode, we'll detail teaching strategies and technology integration ideas that are working. Also, special guests will join us to share strategies that have been successful with students. So we are back for another episode of Teaching in Tech with Alan and Chad. And as we continue to talk about student collaboration, we've got an interesting angle to approach this subject today. We're going to be talking about a course at McKinley High School called Quantitative Reasoning. And normally when you think about math classes, you don't really think a lot about student collaboration, group work, and some of the things that come along with it. Uh, but exactly for some of the reasons that students struggle in math, this is a course that was developed and put on the master schedule just a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a pretty intense course. Uh, it, it was actually piloted over the last couple of years through the state of Ohio, um, and it is and it does serve as an Algebra two alternative. Um, you know, just quick background for how we came across the class. About four years ago, our curriculum specialist, specialist at the time, Dr. Rudd, had brought it to me. I was the department chair for for math, um, grades 9, 12. And said, hey, what do you think of this? I'm like, holy smokes, this is awesome. And so from that point, you know, as we started diving in and seeing, sometimes we, we pigeonhole kids by providing them only one or two options. And I felt like this really started to engage students more in math, uh, more hands-on. And so we said, yeah, let's go for it. So we applied for a to be a pilot site. And sure enough, here we are. So when you when you actually applied to be a pilot site for this course, was that through the state of Ohio, the uh, Ohio Department of Education? Yeah. So actually, about two years prior to it, they had started writing the course. Uh, Akron Public was one of their teachers actually helped present the idea along with Summit's ESC, and they started to design, build, pilot, um, and then from that point, they put it into pilot phase. And so after a year of it being in pilot phase, we applied through ODE. ODE actually pays us for training for at least one instructor. And so we have to, we send an instructor the first year we sent somebody and then one administrator. Um, while I wasn't necessarily in that role, I, I stepped in as the admin of the program. Uh, so I went with the instructor. You go to a four day training. A, over the summer, and then you stay uh, in pilot phase for three years. Okay. Your, your instructor has to go at least back-to-back um, -back years to the training. They have to participate in um, at least, I think it was quarterly in-face meetings. They have to do like weekly to bi-weekly uh, Google Meets with collaboration across the state. I mean, it's it's a pretty intense program. Yeah. And you can, it, so you can't you can't actually just have a teacher in your department say, "Hey, I, this is something I'd be interested in doing. Let's just add this to the master." I mean, this really involves a lot of uh, a lot of training and really building a foundation for adding it to your uh, course list in the math uh, sections. Oh heck yeah! And you got to have somebody obviously invested. I mean, this is a lot of time that you're spending on top of the class to you know work, prepare, and continue to build on. So, go ahead. No, I just was thinking that. You know, on our, our our schedule, it's called quantitative reasoning. Uh, what's the what's the official name for the class, though? Yeah, so through ODE, it's called mathematical modeling and reasoning. Um, but through Clearinghouse, we we had to call it something else, and 
we found this out through a neighboring district, Alliance uh, City Schools, had already implemented the course. The course was initially built to be more of an advanced math. Coming, Come to find out, as they started working, they found students were more engaged in it than just the advanced group, so that's why they brought it, uh, kept the rigor of an advanced class, but tried to make it more applicable to meet the needs of all students. Oh, okay. So yeah. it does become a little bit more well-rounded where you're not just looking at another advanced math offering, but maybe something that could help in a, in a remedial way using a different learning style or a different type of teaching. Oh, yeah, definitely. I really like the name that we use with quantitative reasoning because I think it really does give a good description of what the students are doing in the class and that they're taking mathematical concepts, quantitative numerical concepts, and then they're in groups and in different project settings thinking through these different mathematical problems and, and talking through solutions, looking at potential ways to solve problems, what type of math skills they've used and why they chose the different processes that they did. So the idea of quantitative reasoning, I think it is really a good way to summarize the way that the class is taught. Yeah, and you're you're breaking down the, the verbiage perfectly. You know, the first year we started putting in place, I had counselors coming to me going, holy smokes, what kind of class are we offering? quantitative reasoning it sounds so intimidating kids were like turning away and we're like no we want to right you want to get kids in and, and it's hard to describe it in that way until you start to see it in practice and so you know you've had the opportunity to kind of send what sit in on it chad you know would you when you sat there and looked at it would you have thought like this is undoable by any student no, it's definitely not. While quantitative reasoning sounds like it might be a class to take alongside, you know, pre-calculus or, or calculus, it's definitely much different than that. And it's a lot different setting. So a student who might have struggled in a traditional math class, trying a different, a different uh, learning style in a different type of class environment, it really does give them an opportunity to maybe build some of the skills that they might not have been able to reach with different uh, teaching methods. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I know when we signed up, they had a book that they recommended that we use a textbook and they'd sent it to us and it looks very, uh, very intense, right? Um, so we didn't use it. We said, if we, if we want to do an alternative math program, let's do an alternative math program. Just to try to avoid, you know, maybe kids having that same feel of a math class they didn't have success with in the past. Exactly. And it being part of the alternative pathways, it means that we want to show students that they can still earn an Algebra 2 credit, but maybe engage in math in a class that they've never engaged in before. And so we put strict requirements on our course where they had to have at least Algebra and Geometry credit, um, but that credit could look like any way that they wanted. So we, we wanted to Whether kind of, it was through credit recovery or other forms like that. Exactly. They just had to, they just had to show that it was earned, so they had some foundational skill. There's been argument to kind of scale back, which that may that may be a possibility. But regardless, um, you know, the students that came in, let's be real, not everybody has every skill from year to year. Right. Right. So we have some deficits, but the way the class is formatted, I mean, you see some kids. I talk to more kids in the hall now, and they go, "I love math. I love it. I love the class because." It's not just you're sitting there. It's not drill and kill. It's not teacher centered in the same format as maybe our traditional math classes have been in the past. Right. Yeah. And for, especially for kids who maybe the, the memorization, you know, having some of those skills that you talked about with, you know, standard algorithms. And if they're lacking in those areas, this gives them another way to think things through and maybe, you know, build through 
you know, working on math a different way, which I think is really nice. So maybe let's just talk about this as far as the, on a day-to-day basis and the actual nuts and bolts, what makes this course different from a traditional math course? Like as you were, if you were to go in there for maybe a, a period of a week, what kind of things would you see that are different than a regular math course or what we would think of as a traditional math course? So I think a lot in our traditional math courses, you know, I'm just going to set the frame. I think you're going to see a lot more routine uh, and routine in both classes will look very different, right? So your routine and your traditional, maybe you have your warm-up, right? You have your test prep type warm-up question. Uh, from there, you may be reviewing homework. You may be uh, reviewing a concept. You'll go into your lesson. You'll maybe have a little bit of discussion. You'll go through, you'll do some practice, review the practice, have a quiz, right? It's a lot of um, review information provided. You kind of regurgitate it back. We assess it and we continue that flow of knowledge transfer. You look at the QR class and you go in and while you may have your similar routines of, okay, we come in, this is how we manage class, so what we do, uh, your warm up may be something along the lines of what's called a Fermi problem or a Fermi question. Um, and, the, and the Fermi problem is, is like some large scale off the wall type question. Like if you were to buy pizza for everybody in the school tomorrow, how many pounds of pizza would you need? Right. And so it's, it's meant to be so open-ended. It just gets kids thinking Uh, info. You would go from that warm up to maybe you're continuing a project from the past two days. And that project could be something like you're uh, building a, hole for a putt-putt course where you have to be able to score a hole-in-one based on the angles. Uh, if you're continuing that, you you could end up going into the final piece of maybe you have to do your final evaluation over your project where you have a write-up about your group work, what worked, what didn't work, how you would improve, right? There's, there's formats and structures that are in place wrapped around the activities but your day-to-day activity would look completely different. Sometimes there's presentations, sometimes there's collaboration, sometimes there's a little bit of instructional pieces to review maybe some of the skill deficits that were noticed during those activities. One of the ways I first had experience with this QR class based on those presentations that occur and presenting your work to a, to a panel, I was invited in on a couple of occasions to, to observe presentations and then ask some questions about it. And I thought that was really interesting just to get the students to think about some maybe some different things that they didn't really consider or that the teacher didn't really consider. And again, just to start to get some of that discussion going based on mathematical concepts that you really don't get when you're working on it just from a skill-based level, when you're doing skill-based practice. I, I think too, another thing that in my opinion is important, you know, for some students who who perform well in a traditional math class, I don't think that, that this type of learning is really any reason to discontinue traditional math instruction. Because the one thing we know about group work is that group work is the one downside of it is it takes a lot of time. But I do I do think it's a nice thing to have a variety of different uh, courses offered for students so that if you can uh, perform and achieve well in a traditional math course, maybe that's the route that you take. And if that type of teaching doesn't fit your learning style, this gives you another another type of course that you can you can consider where you may be more successful. And, and as you've mentioned, with a lot of kids, enjoy math more than what you would in a class that doesn't fit your skills or your style, learning style. Yeah, and I think that's honestly a um, fairly superficial way that we try to pull students in. 
right, was the approach of the math. Uh, at the end of the day, like you said, I don't think just because you're good at math that you wouldn't benefit from this type of class, right? The five pathways that ODE has designed, this being one of them, all incorporate now standards for math practice. And those standards are really just saying, if we were building you to be a mathematician, you would do these types of things. Right. And and so, uh, you know, that, that would be something along the lines of making sense of problems and persevering and solving with them. I mean, I would say any math teacher would, you know, work on that skill, but it's explicitly outlined in, the, in all of these curriculums. You're yeah. modeling with mathematics. Um, you're using appropriate uh, tools strategically to solve problems. You know, so all of these courses, and even this one, have these mathematic practice standards embedded in them, but they're also held to a rigor to be college or career preparatory. So yep. you, you would, you know, I think uh, our goal as our district was how do we pull kids in? How do we maybe get them hooked into math? But knowing from ODE, if if math is a strength and you know you're going more into the STEM field, engineering-based, right, stick with your Algebra 2. But maybe you're going along the lines of something. Uh, career tech oriented. Yeah, career tech, tradesmen, a um, little more hands-on. You may look more at the QR course. I was thinking about this course, and I was kind of picturing in my mind, those of us who spent time in the classroom, we've all at some point had kind of the evil genius type kid who's super bright, not at all interested in, in a traditional like homework, taking the notes, doing those type of things. But when you actually start to like kind of break down the skills and the things they're able to do, you know, they've got it all. A student like that who maybe wouldn't do their homework, you know, wouldn't do well on testing quizzes because they didn't value it in a traditional setting. This might be something that might unlock some of those, uh, some of those skills that they otherwise wouldn't be willing to demonstrate. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it, it provides a different outlet to do so. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think when we really start looking at the realm of what our job force is doing moving forward, it rely. it's no longer like the cubicle base that we see out of uh, movies, you know, where they look and you see everybody kind of focusing on their own and they're typing or they're writing something. It's, it's collaborative. It's, um, inventive you're you're creating things and you're you have to almost you have to critically think right constantly yep and that's what's amazing about this course is it's a little bit ahead of its time as as when we start thinking about education at the high school level so it's a little bit uh different especially for those that are coming in to teach it yeah. So let's let's do this. Let's go through. There's a lot of the curriculum guide for this course has a lot of different projects that work on a variety of different math skills. But let's go through and let's just talk about a few of like the core projects that a student who would take this class would would get involved with. And maybe you can break down a little bit with some of those, how the project's built. So one of the things that you mentioned to me that anytime the teacher's kind of starting to build the foundation for this class, the kids group up and they work on what's called the marshmallow challenge. So how's that set up? Yeah. So, you know, any teacher that takes over this type of course has a lot of flexibility in what they want to do to approach situations. Uh, but for the most part, I've seen across the board, everybody start with the marshmallow challenge. I've seen it even at adult type uh, team building things. But really you start with, um, it's establishing your group norms. It's trying to build what the idea of collaboration, 
uh, and then it embeds kind of the reflection process towards the end. But during this type of activity, you would have you could either group your students, you could have them group themselves, but it, at the end of the day, they still have to be in a small group. They'll receive about 10 pieces of uh, hard spaghetti, uh, some tape, about two feet of string, and a marshmallow. And they have to make sure that their tower is freestanding, and the goal is to make it the tallest of the room. Yep. And from there, the marshmallow has to be on top. Uh huh. Pretty standard project. You see that one come about like in STEM, a STEM classrooms, as you mentioned, oh, yeah. like a uh, icebreaker type thing and an adult, you know, like a meeting uh, collaborative thing before a meeting. So yeah, that one is, is definitely a, definitely a well-known project, but interesting to have a little bit different uh, perspective from a math standpoint. So what are some of the math skills that they work on with that project? Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest one is um, like uh, simple arithmetic you know, understanding a little bit of the measurement, you'll see a lot of kids maybe divvy up or break the spaghetti to make them in even measures. Uh, you'll see them try and uh, look at what the distances, heights, lengths are. Uh, just understanding simple number value and um, also embedding some of those math practices, right? That problem solving, the critical thinking. And then from there, right, adding on a little bit of uh, little bit more rigor by adding a timer to it as well. So you get some of those like stipulations on the project just to kind of give everybody some different ways that they have to work within some guidelines and things to kind of make it a little bit, I guess, a little bit more of a, a difficult task than being so wide open. Yeah. And what I think about this project is, you know, if I'm teaching an algebra two equivalent class, I may say, it, we too often we look and say, ah, it doesn't cover enough of the standards or skills I need. I'm going to pass. But it's like what we've talked about in some of our other episodes, Chad, where if I want to bring in a new tech item, right, it's always good to maybe have an activity where I can focus on the tech piece, the integration. Yeah. It's the okay. same thing here, right? If I'm going to really make group norms, collaboration to focus the class, this is the chance to really embed that and focus on it. Work on the skills, yeah, as you're getting started with the basic project. So one of the projects that I was invited to be one of the panelists for um, a couple years back, which I thought was kind of an interesting project, it has to do with remodeling your math classroom and you know the way mckinley being an interesting building with a lot of uh, rooms that have been built and rebuilt over time we have a lot of interior room uh with no windows so this is really kind of a fitting real world project for the kids in our building um, maybe talk a little bit about that remodeling a classroom project and some of the skills that are involved with that both collaboration and how it involves math you know, I, I love this project. I love it for the fact that I've seen four different teachers do it all completely different. Uh, the stipulations are that the students um, have to create a remodeled room. It has to be different. So they take the classroom they're in and they have to redesign it in some way. They have to describe what they're going to do to change it. Uh, they have to describe the budget that goes along with it. And they have to rationalize the decisions they make. What I've enjoyed is some of them the teachers have given a budget that the student has to work in. Um, they've given them a specific that the students have to add. Like one of them had to be, you had to add a fireplace. Um, there's been specifics that teachers can add on to spice it up, or they can leave it as open as they want to, you know, allow more student creativity. But the three pieces that don't change are it has to, it has to change the class. You have to describe the changes and you have to rationalize the changes. Okay, so here's one of the things too, as I'm thinking about, re, you know, remodeling a classroom. 
you know, you give them these different things that they're asked to, to, to do within the class that they're in. This is where, when I was a panelist, it got me thinking with creativity and how tech could be integrated too. So you think about uh, in a one-to-one -one environment where students have devices, think about with, uh, you know, in our building with iPad, all the options that you have to be able to actually take photos of different parts of the room. And then whether it's uh, adding graphics, editing the photo, you've got a lot of different ways that you can actually do some some real design work, just like a graphic designer would on a on a touchscreen on a uh, you know with digital illustration. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, and when we talk about the the ratios, proportions, and drawing to scale pieces of the project, if you've got an image, it's much easier to kind of draw your scale model because you've already got reference points rather than if. You know, I see too often students try and redraw or replicate what they're seeing. Right. I love that suggestion. It kind of takes away the interpretation piece because then they can just build right off of it. Yeah, I mean, I thought about that a lot of times in science labs, too, because a lot of sci science labs, especially for younger students, ask them to sketch out different things. And I always preferred to have them actually, instead of sketching what they were working with, take a digital image of it and then edit that. Because just like you said, then you're not losing anything in translation. And the other part of it is you're not spending nearly as much brain power on trying to look at and remember what you're seeing and then draw it, as opposed to just being able to actually take an image of what you're working with and then put that brain power toward working with it. Yeah, and that's eliminating some of the, uh, the pieces that are unnecessary. You know, when I was on the panel for that, too, it was also to me kind of amusing because uh, at the time, the teacher who was who was teaching that class was a, really kind of a minimalist when it came to classroom decoration and design. <laughs> yeah. So it was so it was really kind of entertaining the comments he would make and just kind of like, you know, li little you know witty remarks on the side that obviously, as you look around this room, it needs some serious work. So what kind of things would you do to remodel this to improve it and make it better? And uh, it was really some of the conversations were really cool, too, that as the kids started thinking about different ideas and, you know, what's feasible and what's not, uh, and then how much things cost, what would be, you know, economically, what would be possible, they really did start to consider and think about some things that maybe otherwise they wouldn't have. Yeah, and, and what's interesting about this project is it happens early in the curriculum. And so you see even just through this project alone, students kind of come in, they've got a little bit of their ideas, but they're not necessarily comfortable working with the math pieces or the conversation yet. But by the end of the project, which is usually a couple days, you see them like really start diving in. Like, I think that this project is a pivotal moment in a lot of the courses, a lot just, of the, like these courses. Just to start to shift toward really what the skills are that you're looking to build and develop. Yeah, and establishing that comfort with doing so. So probably my favorite project uh, that I was able to be part of a couple years back, just as uh, one of the one of the panelists and also as as an observer, was the mini golf project. So oh, yeah. let's let's talk a little bit about the mini golf project and what that entails. So this was one of the projects that this particular teacher took hold of. Um, you'd be surprised, especially in our school, like a lot of students, they just don't know golf, the rules of golf, pay attention to golf. Uh, and so they were able to kind of, you know, extend on it a little bit. So by noticing that he built up a little bit of background knowledge to reference the project. So the project itself, uh, the students had to create mini golf course holes and they had to be able to create the hole with obstacles. But the stipulation was you have to, you have to have the capability of hitting a hole in one based on angles and you had to prove it. 
right? So you're adding in your proofs of geometry, your angles of geometry, your um, scale models. And then at the end, they actually built their mini golf holes. Um, the reason I thought he did such a nice job is recognizing the students had minimal prior knowledge to understand what golf is and then how to build beyond that. And so we actually took a trip to our local golf course. Um, it's uh, first tee that work with, you know, building skills and younger kids. And the kids got to do a golf simulator. They got to do putt around on the tees. They got to go outside and tour. And so a, a two hour trip built a lot of background knowledge on understanding what golf is, golf ball, golf clubs, the different clubs, uh, how to hit a golf ball, what it looks like to putt. So when they came in and built the golf holes, they had a little bit of understanding about what it meant for putt-putt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was actually, um, being able to go along on that trip, I was impressed with First Tee and Canton, uh, just how they were able to kind of open their doors to us and just to introduce a lot of the kids to golf. And obviously golf and mini golf are different things, but it really did help them to kind of get an idea of, you know, the game of golf and the idea of being able to maybe, you know, pick up a new interest. And then, as you said, getting on a simulator, it was kind of entertaining to see some of the kids swing a golf club for the first time. And, uh, you know, first tee was also, you know, they get a lot of equipment donated. So with this project requiring putters, they, I think they donated in the neighborhood of 25 to 30 putters, which was also really nice. And, you know, to go along with that, uh, where did the funding come from? Because I know for this mini golf project, there were a lot of physical materials that were purchased on the, on the, you know, part of the school as well. So, you know, thankfully enough, we had a very supportive uh, curriculum department and they actually, uh, because there is a list, there is a um, resource list that's needed for this class. And every year we, we put together uh, like a, a needs list and they, they purchase and deliver it to us for the, for the product, for the projects that are almost necessity. Oh, that's great. So that was actually funded through the curriculum department. Yeah. I'm thinking back to towards the end of the year, you know, we were in that period where it was post-testing, um, starting to wind down the year. And after the kids had finished all of their mini golf holes, they, you know, the day that they took them over to the auxiliary gym and set up an actual, you know, putt-putt course over there, that was a, that was a pretty cool day. It was neat to see all of those um, set up. And it was also neat too, when you think through the design process to see some of the kids have to consider how they built and designed their hole. And in the process of moving it, once they got it on a hard surface that was a little different than the carpet of the classroom, they had to make some adjustments just to make it usable within the framework of, of the mini golf course, the putt-putt course. So that was, that was kind of a, a fun thing to see too, how they, they had to adjust and adapt. Yeah. And some did it. I mean, an exceptional job. Uh, and we even use that as kind of a hook to bring more kids in. You know, they got to go kind of tour the project, play the project. I mean, we were actually in the gym playing mini golf with these holes. Yeah. Uh, and so other students got to see that. And, and, you know, that's math and play. Yep. It gets me excited when I see that kind of project and kids who are interested in doing that, because some of my favorite class periods ever as a teacher involved a project that really hooked the interest of the students and once they get involved problem solving and you're able to work with them more in a more in a, a facilitating and a in a consulting type you know basis as opposed to just the direct and I, I not that I didn't enjoy the direct instruction too but just to be able to work with small groups and they'll show you what they've designed and you just instead of telling them what to do look at some potential pitfalls or some things that you like and give them feedback both you know and things that are strengths areas they might want to consider uh, those are really I think 
those are cool situations when you can set those up and build those. But the key to that is finding something that the students are interested in, because if they're not interested in the project, those things aren't naturally going to come come forth. Yeah, and some of the projects, I think because they're not taking up mass amounts of time, right? You're looking, especially on block, you're only looking at two to three classes at most. Um, at least kids always know there's something new to look forward to. I'm yep. not stuck. Or I think when we're on a traditional curriculum, they know that it's just math, math, math. Where yeah. this is, oh, it's math. I didn't realize this is math. Um, you know, when you talk about kind of the uh, supportive nature of the class, I think back to how these teachers really engage the students and they, they're using, you know, guided questioning stems, um, very open-ended questioning. You know, what do you think about this? Uh, what about this type of idea? Um, you know, describe this more. And so getting the students to reflect and then articulate what their thought process was. And if they're stuck, you know, the teacher uh, that we always reference really always said, you know, Google's your friend. Yep. You know, don't don't hesitate to look something up. Too often, you know, in other classes, we say, ah, you can't, that's cheating. But in this case, it it wasn't, right? It's use it as a resource to build your knowledge. Yeah, I remember the students in that des, uh, design and remodel the room on Home Depot and Lowe's website, looking at building materials and checking out paint, trying to figure out how many gallons it would take to cover, the, you know, the, the, you know, square footage of the walls. And all of those are, are not only mathematical skills, but they are real world skills. And they start to get the students thinking about things that maybe they wouldn't normally consider till they, uh, until they get to be in that situation where they have their first room that they're trying to paint. So, Absolutely. So as we wrap up today, you know, we've talked about a course here that really is a unique math course and we get the, you know, student interaction that's not really something you always see in a traditional instruction uh, based class. And so, you know, providing these students with the pathways and the opportunities, you know, to work toward those math credits and, and to get closer to graduation. I mean, I think that's definitely a net positive for the building. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the more opportunities we can provide to students, especially in, in classes like this, you know, we want them to be excited about learning. I think the more excited we can get them about learning, the more we're going to be able to, to make them lifelong learners. And that's always the goal. Well, we hope you've gained some ideas for collaboration with students, particularly in the area of math from this episode. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and write us a review. You can find all episodes of Teaching in Tech with Alan and Chad on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.